Hey everyone, Evan here, co-host of Locked On Cavs. My partner in crime, Chris Manning, is too busy fighting the good fight in the Colin Sexton Wars to join me today, so I'm flying solo and taking calls from some of our wonderful listeners. But before we get started, today's episode is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the app and join Chris and I this week to get in on the action and join in on the discussion about the Cleveland Cavaliers, Team USA, the NBA Draft, and so much more. Cavs need a three. Sexton works on Irving, trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Ground. Here goes Okoro to the bucket. And oh, my. Okoro throws it down. Ten seconds to go. Here comes Colin Sexton. Sexton chased by Hill. Off to Stevens. Oh, my. 45 ticks to go. That shot is blocked by Nance. Get that big stuff out of here. Prince knocks down that hard and pass. Garland's there. Garland upstairs for Allen. Oh, look out. There you go. That's called team ball right there. Uh, hey, um, I'm, this is the number I saw for the Locked On Cavs podcast, so I'm assuming it's the correct one, I hope. My name is Michael. Uh, you guys would know me as Cat Hot Dog, good guy from the Discord. Anyway, I was wondering, um, what's your guys' opinion on all this sex and trade chatter going on? Do you think it's really like something we should take seriously, or do you think it's maybe just smoke in the air stuff that's gone on like every other season? Uh, that's all. Thank you. Hey, Michael. Thank you for calling in. Chris and I both really appreciate it, and you've been a continued supporter of the show for some time, so I always appreciate hearing from you, man, and happy to finally have you on the show. Hopefully we can have you on for an extended period soon. But to answer your question, it's a lot to unpack with all this Sexton trade chatter. Um, I know some folks like to discredit Chris and I when we talk about things we've heard just because we're not as big of reporters when it comes to covering this team but we're working our way through the ranks and we're starting to get more access with things so we promise you up front um, we would never lie or just say things to get clout on the internet Um, that's not really our end game here but when it comes to trading Colin Sexton and the stuff we've heard it's varied so when the season was wrapping up Kobe Altman seemed pretty committed to the idea of Colin Sexton and Colin Sexton seemed pretty committed to the idea of being with the Cavaliers long term and Jason Lloyd said it initially then Chris and I kind of heard the same thing around the time it was being reported by other outlets as well that it seemed more than certain that the Cavaliers were going to sign Sexton to some type of an extension whether it was a full five-year rookie scale max contract um that would have been interesting to say the least because Cleveland can only have two of those players on their roster at a time and I don't think they wanted to fully hamstring things but as things went on and the dust started to settle um, it became more and more clear that that really wasn't the case and the Cavaliers have been kind of uncomfortable with the idea of signing Sexton to the money he wants and to be fair Chris and I don't blame Colin asking the Cavs for the money that he wants so Let's walk this back. Yeah, he was the player that rose from the ashes of the four-year stint championship squad with Kyrie, Kevin Love, and LeBron, with Kevin Love still being here, but it doesn't really count at this point because Kevin doesn't really want to be here, period. But 
Gollin was that central piece that the Cavs kind of tapped as the face of the franchise. They've called him the cultural leader. They've done all these things to make him really the feature. I mean, let's be honest. They voted him player of the week every week for his first two seasons. And then in his third season, you got a little bit of Darius Garland or Jared Allen lover. Few and far between, though, because Gollin, he is Cleveland's best scorer. Um, People like to tout efficiency. Um... Yes, he is efficient at times, and you need to really see him in a fully-blown situation to figure out if he truly is efficient as a player. But you start to wonder, is Colin a truly efficient guard if you put him on a good team, or is he a dynamic scorer that is taking advantage of the situation by being ball-dominant? And granted, people point out the fact that Again, Jason Lloyd put out that piece talking about how his teammates are frustrated that he isn't moving the rock and opposing players taunt Cleveland when Colin Sucks is on the floor saying he won't pass to them. There's some validity to that. Um, Colin was moving the rock more, but I think you need to see more sustainable proof of this before you fully commit to him financially. And granted, I'm not one to really put the cart in front of the horse. Sometimes I do overreact, but I need to step back and not bake my takes on things and I'll hold myself accountable on that one, but I think Cleveland is starting to look at Colin and say, okay, we have a bit of a lot of unknowns here, and do we want to commit so much money to this player financially that it could hamstring us long term that they're not going to want to pay him that if Cleveland does become a playoff team or a contender, or if they take Jalen Green third overall, but I don't think that's going to happen. But if they did take Jalen Green third overall, what if Jalen Green supersedes Colin Sexton in the starting lineup because he's a big body shot creator and fits a nicer profile next alongside Darius Garland? But that's a conversation for another day. We're focusing on Colin right now. It's interesting to think about why Cleveland would commit so much money and then people circle back to the fact that he's extension eligible this offseason but they could wait till next summer when he's a restricted free agent let him test the market and see what he gets and maybe resign him to whatever value and match whatever offer he gets or just let him walk but colin is with a very powerful organization in caa uh, for those of you who may not know that is lebron's former agency and where rich paul learned his chops before they started clutch sports and now clutch is the most powerful agency in the world and there's a lot of player connections i think carmelo is still with them if i'm correct um, or he's with uh, rock nation if one of the two and then there's just a lot of other prominent players have been with caa during their time so they're a powerful agency and they're going to do the best and right by their client and to circle back to what i said before The Cavs have done all this legwork making him the face of the organization and the face of the franchise and all these other things. And it's it's tough because it puts the Cleveland in an awkward position where they don't feel comfortable paying Colin. And his camp is going to be making a stink about getting him paid now. Um, The options are forced to possibly trade him. And this is where things get even more interesting is... These trade reports that I've reported and some others have reported, I can almost guarantee you that maybe 5 to 10% of them have come from the Cavaliers organization. They're a pretty tightly lipped organization under Kobe Altman and Dan Gilbert's watch. Um, They don't really let things leak to the media. Uh, As you know, Like the, the Andre Drummond trade came out of left field. Them acquiring Jared Allen for essentially Dante Exum in a very late first-round pick came out of left field. Not a lot of people have a good read on what the Cavaliers are actually doing, and it's been that way for a while. Um, a lot of these leaks and reports, and I will put my credentials out there a little bit and say it's coming from Sexton's side of things. Colin 
is a little fed up, I think, with his situation in Cleveland and things like that in that nature. But at the same time, he would prefer to go to a New York or a Miami. Or I know the Indiana Pacers have expressed interest in him. But that's also a problem in itself because the Cavs do not have a lot of leverage when it comes to trading Colin because they're going to be negotiating from a disadvantage at this point because teams are going to know that Colin wants out if he doesn't get the extension and the money he wants from Cleveland. And then in turn, you're going to have to find a team that wants to actually sign Colin Sexton to a long-term extension because if a team gives up anything of value for this player, and especially when it's extension eligible like this, they want to get something of value back. I mean, I would. And you think of it that way as well, where Cleveland has to toe this line carefully, and if they trade Colin, they have to find a destination where they get the most assets for him but it's not going to be an overwhelming return. I know some folks think he has sky-high value and they're going to get Brandon Ingram or R.J. Barrett or Malcolm Brogdon, if you want to think of the Pacers and good players that are available, because I don't think Miles Turner or Dominatus Sabonis peak Cleveland's fancy just with Jared Allen and possibly Evan Mobley on the roster. But you need to be a bit more realistic here. Some of the packages I've heard are Obi Toppin, Kevin Knox, and 19 and 21 for Colin Sexton if it was New York. Or the hypothetical trade with Miami that would send Tyler Harrow and Precious Achiua and some draft compensation, and Cleveland would send Kevin Love and Colin Sexton down to Miami. Colin really wants to play with Jimmy Butler. I know that's a fact as well. Um, there's a lot of interesting things going on here. There's a lot of moving pieces, and I think there is some fire to this smoke. Um, I certainly do think that, especially on the outside of the Cavaliers organization side of things. Um, I just, I think if you put a gun to my head, I'm 35 to 40% sure Colin gets traded by or around the draft. If not, he signs an ex- he either plays out the remainder of his rookie contract and en- enters restricted free agency. And then 60% of me says he is traded. That's how I feel at this point. There's a lot of moving parts to this. There's a lot of moving pieces to this. Um, it's ever-changing, ever-evolving. I know people like to post that Sean Sharani video of him talking with Colin wearing the Hotels.com robe and how Colin shared he wants to be in Cleveland and the feeling is mutual, vice versa. Um, things change a lot. That video could have been recorded a while ago, too, and they ed- took a while to edit it and post it as well. They had to time it based on the deal announcement. There's a lot of factors there, too. Um, but things are constantly evolving, constantly changing. I wouldn't be surprised if the Cavs trade Colin Sexton. I think the organization, I know for a fact there are some in the organization that are exhausted by how the fans are so toxically defensive of him. And they, and I know Colin's camp thinks it's a little weird, and Colin himself thinks it's a little weird because all he wants to do is play hoops. All he wants to do is ball. All he wants to do is just play. He wants to be left alone. He's kind of a quiet kid to begin with. And, yeah, that's just where we're at with the whole Colin Sexton thing. Uh, I think there is some smoke to this. There's some fire to this smoke, I should say. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But I think Colin is going to be disappointed if he wants top dollar from Cleveland. Because, again, to circle back to one last point, I think I've spoken to now 26 of the 30 teams in the league and remove Cleveland from this. So 26 of the 29 teams in the league about extending Colin. 
and the consensus is 18 to 20 million annually over four years for his services with one team going as high as 22.5 million and it was a smaller market team like cleveland they like his skill set they like his abilities an elite three level score they think he has potential with a team but they think his limitations are starting to really be his true limitations and where he plateaus at and if I were Cleveland, I'd take that into strong consideration, signing him to an extension. And if push comes to shove and Colin says he doesn't want to be here or he wants to be paid top dollar, I think it's the for the best for the Cavaliers to find a way to move on from him and recoup as much assets as they can as possible and build around Darius Garland, who, I hate to be that guy, I think the Cavs are starting to say is the face of the organization. Thank you again for calling in. Appreciate it, Michael. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break from you guys calling in and asking us questions, but I wanted to give a quick word from today's sponsor, Built Bar. As you know at this point, and I don't think I need to say it, it's pretty obvious, Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and available this week only, get the new Built Bar flavor, Grasshopper Cookie. What does it taste like? This is Built Bar's version of the classic Thin Mint Cookie without the legal litigations with the Girl Scouts. They're serious business those girls they have all the flavor without all that sugar they have 150 calories 17 grams of protein only five grams of sugar and i highly recommend if you pick them up sticking them in the fridge or the freezer and you have a nice frozen grasshopper cookie treat did you know they also have so many more delicious flavors including coconut cherry barcia raspberry mint chocolate salted caramel strawberry orange cookies and cream and so much more you know what my favorite flavor is other than grasshopper it's probably cookies and cream because they've got it spot on and it's so damn good and if you haven't tried all the flavors you can get a mix box where you get two of each and all of nine flavors not only the built bar flavors the best tasting they're healthy too they have 17 to 18 grams of protein they range from 130 to 180 calories only four to five grams of sugar and only four to five grams of net carbs and as a type 1 diabetic my a1c is happy and my endocrinologist is happy too so if you're interested, order today and get the grasshopper cookie or raspberry or cookies and cream or whatever you like. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. Isn't that neat? Why don't we support our boys and girls in the red, white, and blue and buy some Built Bars today? So go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA Finals coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it, and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Hey, have you guys ever heard the song Kyoto by Phoebe Bridgers? Hey, 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 is that the most handsome man on Cavs Twitter in front of the podcast, Jeff Navina? Yes, I have heard Kyoto by Phoebe Bridgers. Excellent song, excellent feels, and the way the music video was filmed is hilarious because it looks like she clearly filmed it during a pandemic in front of a green screen while surfing through Tokyo skies. Jeff, thanks for calling, and please come on the pod soon and so we can wring our hands over the daily troubles of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And my question is, I don't know how people can want Mobley for the Cavs over Jalen Green for the worst scoring team in the NBA, the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA, 
in a shooter's league, not a big man's league. Yeah, they're big guys, but no one is comparing Mobley as the next great thing. If he was, he'd be going number one, not possibly two, three, or four. Uh, we need Jalen Green, and the Cavs need to do whatever possible to get up to Houston to get him because I, that's the guy we need. So I just don't understand how people are raving for Mobley over Jalen Green. Please explain to me how people want a big over a dominant guy compared to the next Kobe. Explain that to me. Have people not been paying attention that this league is dominated by guys who can score and score from the outside? Hey, man, thank you for calling in. Didn't quite catch your name at the beginning, but that's all right. We really appreciate you and your support. And it's an interesting take for sure because Jalen Green really does check a lot of the boxes for what the Cavs need in this draft. And like you said, if they're able to do whatever they can to trade up with Houston to get him, I think they'll make it happen and they'd have be very happy with their pick because Jalen Green is a big body shot creator and shows a lot of interesting twitchiness and defensive upside for any NBA team that takes him. But with Cleveland, he pairs beautifully in theory next to Darius Garland as the starting two guard. Or if he bulks up, he could play the three and bump Isaac Okoro to the two or to the bench, or they can play alongside Colin Sexton if he's still here and the team doesn't trade Sexton. But I just don't think the Cavs have the ammunition to move up from three to two unless Tillman Fertitta realizes that you have to pay the second overall pick more money than the third overall pick and he cheaps out and wants to save a couple bucks. But I just don't see that realistically happening at this point. And <clears throat> that's where you and I are going to disagree on Evan Mobley. Um, as an Evan myself, I know I have my biases just name wise with this pick and Spoiler alert, I really was hoping the Cavs could find a way to get Evan Fournier back in the draft a few years ago, many moons ago, I should say, not a few years ago. But Evan Mobley, according to Locked On's own and draft expert Chad Ford, um, if Cade Cunningham wasn't in this draft, Evan Mobley would be the consensus number one pick. He's a 2A to a 2B with Jalen Green, and I think he, the Cavs, I know are a team that need three-point shooting. They're the worst scoring team in the league, but also the Cavs are a team that cannot be too particular when it comes to their draft talent and how they acquire it. They take a player, they take the best player available, and at third, you get the best player available of whoever's remaining between Jalen Green and Evan Mobley, and who knows? Evan Mobley is, has worked out with Cleveland, I know. Um, that's I don't know if that's been widely reported yet, but Evan Mobley's recently worked out with the Cavs, and it went really well, and they're pretty enamored with him. I know J.B. Bakerstaff likes his defensive upside a lot, and I think the Cavs really do think that they can get an all-star or franchise-altering talent here where it doesn't maybe make the picks mix or the prior pieces in Garland, Sexton, Okoro, what have you, even Jared Allen too through trade, make as much sense as a Kate Cunningham would because of his cerebral playmaking and everything else, but Evan Mobley is, and I hate this term, I hate this comparison, It's it feels overblown because people were throwing it around too much when Kristaps Porzingis was at his heyday with the Knicks, but he really is a, a unique unicorn-like player where he can have the potential to be a three-point shooting stretchy big man who plays a tremendous defense on the interior. He can also be a switchable defender as well. And he gives a lot of Chris Bosh, Anthony Davis vibes. And I know those are really generous comparisons because they're both 
Hall of Fame caliber players, but Evan Mobley just has that type of potential. There are some concerns where he floats at times, but maybe that was just because of the caliber of talent that they were playing when he was playing with at Southern California, but I think he's going to have a lot of intrigue as well as a playmaker. I talked about this with Fear the Sword quite a bit, where he averaged so many potential assists with Southern California, but his, play- his teammates just weren't making shots, and if you take that to the NBA level, things will get a lot better. Um, I People call him a big man Kevin Durant, and I think that's also an unrealistic comparison as well, but maybe you see the upside there too with the stretchiness, but I think if the Cavaliers, who are a team that pride themselves on refining players' jump shots, if you look at Colin Sexton, Jetty Osmond, um, Larry Nance Jr. as well. I think Isaac Okoro is on the right path with their development strategy too. Like the Cavs have a track record of fixing players that maybe not have the most refined shots, but they have something solid there. And you take Mobley and turn him into a competent shooter in time. You really have a really nice piece that you can build around going forward. And that's what Cleveland needs right now. They need that guy, the guy to build around and be that piece going forward. And, if this was last year's draft or possibly even next year's draft, depending on how things shake out, like Mobley would be the consensus number one pick. But since Kate Cunningham declared this year and had a pretty good season at Oklahoma State, to say the least, um, Mobley jumped to the second best player in this draft class. But you can make an argument for him as first overall. But if you're Detroit, you take Kate Cunningham because that's the player that makes most sense for them. But Mobley will be a very nice fit in Cleveland. I really like his fit in Cleveland. He's a great addition to this roster. He will maximize the playmaking potential of both Colin Sexton, if he's still here, or Darius Garland as well, and Isaac Okoro, who's been sneakily fun as a backup point guard and um, as a, just a tertiary playmaker as well. Like That maximizes that. And I think Mobley's going to look a lot better, too, playing alongside slashers and dunkers like Larry Dance Jr., or if they go out and get some players in free agency to help assist that and accentuate that as well. And, hell, if you play Evan Mobley at the 5 or Kevin Love at the 4 or vice versa, you have some pretty fun options there, too, with stretchiness, too, if the Cavs don't buy out Love or try to move off of his contract. But that's where you and I disagree. I think the Cavs cannot be too particular when it comes to the player they take with the third pick. Um, I just don't think also trading up the two is realistic for Cleveland and Houston's going to take Jalen Green. I think it's a, if those who are reading the tea leaves know, um, I think that's, that's uh, pretty obvious who I've been talking about when it comes to Jalen Green's draft promise, but thank you for calling. We really appreciate it. And we'll be right back with more of your guys' calls, but we have one more ad break. Today's Locked On Cast is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC, MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to a championship. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, but only if you use the promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts and the exclusive betting partner of the LOCKEDON Podcast Network. Yeah, this is uh, Brandon Zimmerman at Throws Hammer Down Zen out of Charlotte, North Carolina. So I've been doing some research, uh, as everybody has on Ben, uh, as on, on the uh, Jalen and uh, Mobley. 
And I've uh, been pretty much sold on Green. I think his intangibles and his uh, – it seems to be a very cerebral player. I've been impressed with his interviews. But um, as we've been seeing, uh, Houston could be set on Green, so I've been looking at Mobley a little bit more. And uh, as as everyone has as well, uh been starting to kind of been intrigued with him as well. Uh, he seemed to have a better handle in passing than, than I guess I realized. But um have been seeing some pre-draft workouts recently where uh, I was getting concerned again. I guess called a teeter-totter. But uh, I guess the biggest question I've got at this point is, uh, I guess watching this pre-draft workout really seemed to have a lack of touch and just missing tons of bunnies and just the type of things you'd expect to be automatic at this point. So question is, uh, what is your concern uh, or what is your current outlook on uh, Mobley's ability to develop a consistent jumper? Uh, does it concern you? Uh, are we are we um, are we potentially um, not realizing his true bust potential? And maybe because we're blinded by his high ceiling. But uh, either way, look forward to hearing what you guys think about it. Hey, Brandon! Thanks so much for calling in and leaving a message with us. We really appreciate it. But yeah, there 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 could be some some concerns when it comes to Evan Mobley and. I guess I'm just not too worried about it. I guess you can always look at the glass half full or glass half empty at this point when it comes to any draft prospect of the Cavs. I mean, there's legitimate concerns with Isaac Okoro coming into this draft process about his shot profile and his ability to hit threes, and it wasn't fundamentally broken. And I know, like you said, he does sometimes look like he has like a lack of touch at the rim and he's missing some bunnies, but... I think of some of that is a product of just youth and inexperience. I know Evan Moley's been playing basketball for quite some time now, but I wouldn't be too outwardly concerned with his ability to be a shot taker and shot creator for Cleveland. I don't think they're going to be asking a lot of that out of him to begin his rookie season, which I think is a luxury because they already have a few shot creators in Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, to name a few, alongside gunners like Jetty Osmond, even though most people don't want him to be that. But, um... I think Cleveland, and I talked about this in the last segment, Cleveland's player development staff is one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league. They have some of the best shooting development for sure. Like, Let's look at their recent track record. Larry Nance Jr., he shared with me that uh, when he was at the Lakers, they told him they just wanted him to dunk, rebound, and play defense. They never asked him to take threes, but the Cavs encouraged that when he came here because he, because of his Crohn's disease, was on a medication that basically had some steroid-like effects that caused him to have a massive sudden growth spurt. So he went from playing point guard to small forward, power forward in high school. And uh, Larry remembered this when I first spoke with him, but he dunked on me in intramurals because we both grew up in the suburban league. Um, If you know, you know, Revere Wadsworth rivalry where you at. But at the same time, like Larry became a much better shooter. He wasn't great at Wyoming. He wasn't taking a lot of shots like that at Revere. And he obviously wasn't taking many of them with the Lakers as well. But He's still hesitant with Cleveland, but it's a lot better and a lot more fluid. And it's he knows the sign of the times where you need to be a stretchy four in this league in order to survive. And he kind of added that to his repertoire. But you look at him, Jetty Osmond wasn't known as a shooter when he came out of the Turkish leagues. And uh, he is a bona fide gunner now, much to the chagrin of my co host and myself. But to jump ship, there's Colin Sexton, who frustratingly took a lot of long twos, but he kept working with the player development staff and the shooting coaches and took one, two steps backwards and started shooting from the on the arc. And now he's one of the most elite three point shooters in the league, uh, depending on the volume. He just wish he would take a few more there. And then, like, Darius Garland is already fluid, but they fixed him up quite a bit and made him a much more refined shooter as well. Like, that's crazy to think as well. And then. 
Dylan Windler, I think, is like their only project that's kind of filled, but I think that's more of an indictment of how J.B. Bickerstaff is using him. But then you look at Isaac Okoro, who, coming out of Auburn, there was a concern that he wouldn't be a three-point shooter at all, in a similar vein to like Andre Godala at his apex, but... Thankfully, his shot wasn't completely broken, and the Cavs did some work with him and made it better and improved upon it. And just long story short, I think if Evan Mobley came to Cleveland and there were concerns about his shooting or maybe touch, they would work on it so it wouldn't end up like a Markel Fultz situation where Philadelphia completely ruined his shot and now it's just he's he's a bust. But yeah, there's always going to be bus concerns, I think, with any of these picks. I think you have to be honest with yourself that these are a gamble. You're taking a gamble on a college kid hopefully panning out and being the talent you hope they can be and possibly the savior of your job if you're Kobe Altman here. But that's just kind of where I'm at. Like, yeah, you have to be concerned with the bus potential, but I think the intangibles and some of just the God-given gifts that Evan Mobley has and what he oozes with when he watch him at in his highest of highs with Southern California or in high school, you get really excited with what his potential is and yeah i agree to your original point that jalen green really is a cerebral player and really does fit a lot of what more what cleveland needs in terms of just wing depth but i just don't think he's going to be available unless cleveland somehow finds a way to trade up the two or something completely shocking happens and detroit takes green first overall because he really does have that kind of talent he does have that superstar like upside to him but I think I'm always going to remain firmly in the stance that Cleveland cannot be pickier, particularly when it comes to taking players. I don't think any team should be. You should always go best player available, and then you figure out their fit afterwards. Um, or you stash them away like Obi Toppin with the Knicks. But um, thank you so much for calling. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to get to our next caller, but do not be too worried if Evan Mobley is selected by the Cavs. I think he's going to be working out just fine. He's going to unlock a lot of things for this team offensively and defensively. He's going to be a monster. I can't. I cannot wait, wait to watch him and Jared Allen together just terrorizing opponents, opponents when protecting the paint in the rim. It's going to be quite a sight to see, and I know J.B. Bickerstaff is going to be pretty happy with that pickup. What's up, guys? This is Matt from Los Angeles, and I wanted to ask a question about LeBron. It's starting to feel very similar to that 2013-2014 era where Cavs fans would be like, oh, you know what's ironic is a great team for LeBron would be the Cavs, and then we kind of manifested that into happening. My question is about, uh, I guess first my statement is that it's starting to feel like the Cavs roster is better than what LeBron has him around him in L.A. in terms of Anthony Davis or Caruso or Kuzma or whoever else. Either they're always hurt or they're not that effective, and the Cavs kind of are like that too, but maybe a little bit better. Uh, hey, Matt, so my question is, what Chris, do you think it would take to get LeBron uh, to consider the Cavs? So to answer your uh, I think first he has an opt out coming up in the offseason next year. Lakers so curious to hear you guys' thoughts on that. Thanks. And that's when he'll be an unrestricted free agent at that point. Um, and you're considering his age, then he'd be 38 years old. He's starting to show a little bit of injury bugs just kind of flaring up and holding him back i think this is the first time in my life i said lebron's looked human and that's kind of incredible to think after how much how much mileage and how many how much contact and physical play he's just put on his body time in and time out and just how much backbreaking efforts he's put through with this Cavs team but i want to disagree with your first point where he'd be better off with this Cavs team um 
just because of the fact that the Lakers have Anthony Davis on their roster. Cleveland doesn't have a player like Anthony Davis on their roster. They have a nice collection of young pieces, whether it's Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, Jared Allen, what have you. Like those, those would be fun to put alongside LeBron in theory, but as you maybe know, as a Lakers guy, when he first came to LA and the Lakers tried to stay the course with Lonzo Ball, with Kyle Kuzma, with Josh Hart with all these young pieces that eventually went and Brandon Ingram as well that went into the Anthony Davis trade there's a certain amount of pressure that comes with LeBron James on your roster the expectation right away is we win a championship now and we were contending for a championship immediately there is no time to be patient because as you can tell father time is now starting to win this battle against LeBron James and I think I genuinely do that he'll come back next season. He's going to be six Braun, which is always fun to begin with. And because that Miami LeBron is just incredible. And I hope they retire six one day, but um, I just can't really say that this Lakers team is worse off. If you removed LeBron from the equation and you put him in Cleveland, I just mean, yeah, Andrew Drummond was disappointing. Yes. Ben McElmore was an interesting pickup. Yes, Markeith Morris was an amazing. Marcus All didn't work out. There was a lot of things that just didn't work, but I just think the fact that LeBron was hurt with that high ankle sprain for such a long time and Anthony Davis is dealing with an Achilles injury, those are your two key players. You're going to have a bad season no matter what. But I think this time off the Lakers is going to be key for them. I think it's going to help them get better. I think it's going to help them rest up. I think LeBron's going to come locked in and loaded, especially if, let's say, the narrative starts to shift a little bit more and like things would be a lot more worse for LeBron if the Nets made it to the finals and they were gobsmacking the Suns or whoever made it out of the West at that point in this hypothetical. But um, I think the Lakers are going to be fine if the Lakers re- retool and rebuild, not rebuild, but they'll retool and add players to accentuate AD and LeBron and make things better. I think they can maybe move some pieces and assign a trade to Dennis Schroeder because I don't think he's going to be long for LA. I think they try to move off of Montrez Harrell. I know he has a player option heading into next offseason or next season, excuse me. And then you try to see what you get with Kyle Kuzma as well. He's making a flat $13 million over the next three years. And he does have a player option as well for the 2023-24 season. But the Lakers do have some parts here. They're going to have a pretty tight cap sheet as well, just because LeBron's making $41.2 million roughly, and Anthony Davis is making $35.4 million roughly. So they didn't do the Kobe Altman special where it was more money up front and just sliding backwards. But either way, I think the Lakers are going to be in okay shape. Um, their front office has proven that they um, took the uh, – they, they ignored Magic Johnson, and they started acting like Cleveland where – they literally said, fuck them kids, and they will go out and get as many pieces as they need to in order to build a team that maximizes LeBron's potential. And I think if you're able to swing for some shooters and, hey, let's say Chris Paul's talks go sideways with Phoenix in the contract extension and Chris Paul signs with the Lakers, that'd be incredible too. But I think Kemba Walker could be a realistic target for the Lakers. If he can stay healthy, he's a lot better than anything Dennis Schroeder was. But if you add some shooters, you add some playmaking and – you don't really want to say, okay, we have the power of youth to let LeBron kind of rest a little bit and not put so much wear and tear on his body. No, you you go balls to the wall right away, and you let the star power and the appeal of playing for the Los Angeles Lakers be the driving factor in winning a championship next season and getting another ring for LeBron. So he is now part of the – he'd be the 5-7 or, you know, 5-6 mafia, right? Because he used to be the 3-6 mafia, now it's 4-6. But either way – we appreciate you calling. Um, 
it's good to hear a guy from Los Angeles who's just asking about the greatest player in Cavs history. But no, I don't think um, if you swap these two teams, it'd be different. Oh, and to your other point, since his contract's so long, maybe when LeBron's 39, if he's thinking about retirement, let's say he wins a championship next season and then the Lakers go back-to-back and he finishes his career with six rings. Um, at that point... Um, that's tough. I think maybe he would sign a one-year deal and come back to the Cavs just one last time. Maybe, you know, a great PR stunt and just a great way to – not PR stunt, but, like, it's a good move just all around. I feel a good story for LeBron to play out the final year or two with the team that he, you know, grew up in the backyard of and started his career with. I think that would be fun. But I think at that point his championship window would probably be closed. Um we're going to start seeing LeBron maybe deferring to Anthony Davis and being the second fiddle. Hopefully his ego allows that to happen. But I could also see him retiring a Laker as well because, you know, Dan and Le- Dan Gilbert and LeBron still don't have the best relationship. And I think he's also going to do right by his family as well and ask them, like, okay, do you want to move back to Northeast Ohio or do you want to stay in Los Angeles or do you think it's better off if I retire? So his kids and his wife are his biggest driving factor in a lot of his decision-making, too. And he has a lot of off-the-court business ventures as well, but he has the right team managing all that. So it's interesting to see what will happen. But I wouldn't be surprised if LeBron, because he is a corny dude, he signs like a feel-good one-year contract with Cleveland and plays out the last year of his career with the Cavs and then goes out as the greatest player to ever wear a Lakers uniform. Starting July 19th, the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey is coming. Featuring analysis from the greatest of all time of NBA Mock Drafts, Chad Ford, and the Odyssey NBA expert, Brian Scalabrine, and former general manager, Ronnie McDonough. Our Locked On NBA local experts will make the selections and trades for your local favorite basketball teams throughout this week-long special. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts today. Odyssey is your audio home for all the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.